Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. And I have the honor of reading uh, God's Word uh, today. Um, and our passage comes from John chapter 20, verses 19 to 22. Um, and this comes after Jesus had risen from the dead. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Um, So this morning, I thought that uh, we would kind of have maybe like a family chat. Now, Depending on the family you grew up in, that could be like make you start to twitch because maybe you only had family meetings when things were bad. So that's not just to let you know, that's not what's going on today. Um, but there's, uh, we've been going through different series in this church. We try to just kind of listen to God and say, God, what do you want to say to your people? What do you want to talk to us about? And so we've been in a series of forgiveness for six weeks. And then uh, recently we just started into a series about money. What does God have to say to us about our money? But we're taking kind of a pause um, on this Sunday, uh, because I just sense, and we just sense that kind of what God is doing in our churches, some things that I want to share with you that have been on my heart about where are we going in the future. I was thinking about the fact that um, I'm just past kind of seven years being the pastor of this church, which has been an, an immense privilege, and was uh, along with many of you kind of here from, from the beginning of this church 10 years ago, but for most of uh, my life, I kind of sat where, where you are. And I would say that if I were to think about um, my life and the, and the work that I did and uh, when, I, when I was growing up, when I was going to school, and then, and then having a job after that and coming to church uh, on a Sunday morning, I was, I would say, constantly sort of um, haunted and, and at the same time hopeful with this idea that there must be more to life than this. Like it, was, it was probably, if I look back now, I didn't really get it at the time, but I can look back on it now and say, I had this constant gnawing sense, um, sometimes in a haunting way, that there must be more to life than this. Isn't there more to life than this? And whatever that meant in terms of the job that I was in, or sometimes I'd have that feeling when I'd come to church and say, there must be more. And at times it it wasn't uh, haunting, it was hopeful. I'm thinking, there must be more than this. It was something inside me that longed for more. And, and that was as best as I could put it into words. I couldn't even articulate more than that. And maybe even as I say that, you say, yeah, I, I kind of know what that feels like. Maybe you have an acute sense of that because um, you're in a job or you're doing, you're in a rhythm of life that you go like, this isn't fulfilling for me. I'm, I'm struggling with this. There must be more than this. Or maybe it's just a vague sense and, and you don't actually think about it uh, for a long time or maybe you just kind of put it aside. And that's what, that's what some people do is just sort of go, well, that's, I don't even know what that means. I don't even know what that, I don't even know why I would feel that. Everything seems good on the surface of my life. I can't really complain. There's a lot of people that maybe have it worse off than me, so I'll just kind of put that aside. Um, Some of us kind of uh, don't want to put that aside, and so we have this kind of gnawing sense of it. Maybe we even come into church in places like this going, man, there must be more to life than this. 
Um, for people who maybe grew up in a faith tradition, you call yourself a follower of Christ, you'd say, God, like there must be more to life than this. Like you're looking to God for that. But even if you're not, you would say, well, I'm not really sure where I am on that journey. You might still uh, resonate with that feeling. There must be more to life than this. And we know actually there aren't simple answers to that, that question or that longing, right? Because in many ways, you probably have achieved things in your life that you thought would bring you to that point where you'd say, ah, I'm good now. And yet as you've achieved them, you still have that sense there must be more than this. And I think that's one of the, one of the longings and the questions that we are meant to actually engage in as people of faith when we come together and we gather together. And it's the question that I want to get at with you because I believe um, that the scriptures actually tell us where that longing comes from. And really that God has a response to us, you know, if we were to ask him that question. Uh, and, and, and sometimes what I say to, there may be some of you here that say, well, I don't, I don't even know if God exists. I, I always say, well, just, just test him. You know, like you can even do that today. Say, if you're actually real, I'd like an answer to that question today. I want to know what you think about that. Is there really more to life than this? What do I do with this longing that I have in me? Um, the text that Malcolm read for you is a text that comes at the end of one of four of the, of the uh, historical accounts of the life of Jesus. And we call them gospels, or they were gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to Mark, but they were all, the word gospel just means good news. So it's the good news of Jesus according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's what those are. They're in a sense the biography of good news of the life of Jesus. And what's interesting, so interesting, is Jesus came to the world uh, at, at that time in, in uh, the first century. It was a world in many ways that we would say, wow, that's so different from ours, but in another sense, it was exactly like ours. There were many people in that, um, in, in the Jewish people, Jesus was born a Jew and he was coming to Jewish people. Many of them had been raised with this expectation and this hope of what, uh, that God was going to do something great on their behalf. It was in a sense that, that actually hope that yes, there's more to life than this, that God is going to establish us as a people. He's gonna bless us. He's gonna um, you know, bring us to a place where we feel totally at peace and we uh, have the life that we want with him. And yet many of them over time had sort of given up on that hope. And a large number of the people that, that Jesus came to speak to, they were Jewish by birth, uh, but they were mostly a product of their culture. They had really stopped believing. And I ask you, how many, how many of you know people who grew up in a, uh, with some tradition of faith, but have th at this point come and just said, you know what, I, I don't really think it's real anymore. Stop believing. How many of you know that, right? It's like it's so many of us. Maybe that, maybe that is your story for a period of time. Maybe it's a little bit of your story even now, but certainly many of us know people in your work, people in your family, people in your neighborhood said like, yeah, I was raised with that and there was some sense of that, but I, I'm not really, I don't have much hope for that anymore. Or you know what? I don't really want anything to do with that because I didn't like the picture of God that was painted for me by the faith tradition I had or the family that I had. Well, it's actually many of the people that Jesus came to were like that. And the crazy thing was, as he began to talk and, and not just kind of um, teach them moralistic kind of things to do with their life. He began to talk to them about God in ways that their ears had never heard. That as he began to explain who God was to them, something in them said, like, could that really be true? Is God actually like that? That Jesus was actually saying, God is actually someone who is for you, not against you, that he is coming close to you that he wants to be with you, that God is a God who eats with us, who is with us in our lives. 
He's not distant. He's not wagging a finger at us saying, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, clean up your act. He's coming to you to help you, to save you, to love you. God wants to be in relationship with you. And Jesus not only said that, he, he said, I am, if you've seen me, you've seen God. And that's exactly how Jesus was with everyone. In fact, the ones he seemed to spend the least time for to be the most upset with were the religious people who thought they knew God and had it all together. And so you can tell why the masses would actually, who, their ears and their hearts would begin to hope and say, if this is really true, I want that. I always thought there was more to God than this. I always thought there was more to life than this. I always thought there was more to religion than this, but I'd give up believing, and now you're telling me something that I long to believe is true. And not only that, but he, he began to work in power in, in ways that, that actually demonstrated that what he was saying was true. That he wasn't just a wise teacher, but he was a healer and a friend. And his disciples, this group of people who, who basically had become to believe that he was the real deal and began to follow him, were, were full of hope until he died. And they just thought, well, and it was really, it was actually the religious leaders and the political leaders who said that he was disturbing too much of the well-structured and ordered life of religion and politics, and so he has to go. And so they thought, well, this is what happened. He was a revolutionary, and now he's a martyr. And, and they, were, they were not only hopeless, but they were afraid. And so they had locked the doors and not knowing what was going to happen to their uh, lives because they were associated with this revolutionary. And the passage that Malcolm read for us is that Jesus appeared amongst them while they were hiding, afraid, you know, basically not believing anymore that there is more to life than this. And it says he comes and he shows them his wounds in his hands and says, it's really me and I'm alive. And it says they were overjoyed. Hope exploded out of their hearts. And then he says this incredible thing. And I, I've heard it before, read it before, but in the last year, these words have just been kind of going off in my brain, in my heart, going, man, if this is true, this changes everything. He says to them, as the Father God has sent me, so I send you. And he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. He said, what you have seen of me in these last few years, as God has sent me to the world to teach people and tell people about the real God, about who he really is, that he is not actually counting our sins against us, but wants to be reconciled to us, wants us to come home. That he wants us not just to obey some rules and be under the control of religion, but he wants us to have life to the full. All of the things that you and I are actually seeking and all of the little lesser ways that we try to find it. That fullness is found in a life with God. That, that that's why the Father sent me into the world, to tell people that and to bring people to him. And just as the Father sent me into the world to actually heal, not just physical illnesses, but restore broken relationships. And just as the Father sent me into the world to actually be, show that there is a power greater than what we see around us, that the longing we have for something more is found in me. Just as God has sent me to the world to do all that, now I send you. And he gave them, in a sense when it says he breathed on them the Holy Spirit, he gave them the same power that God had given him as he sent him into the world. That, is there, I mean, is there a more stunning verse in all of scripture? This is the church. We are the sent ones. 
the, the family of God. We are the people that Jesus said, just as the Father sent me into the world, and all of the things that I did as the Father sent me into the world, so I send you. And in fact, a couple of passages earlier, he said this, greater things than I have done will you do. Not only is the Father, am I sending you into the world just like the Father sent me in the world, but your impact on the world through me will be greater than even the impact I had when I was alive. Can you imagine that? But it's true. How many people did Jesus affect in his life? A few thousand. How many has the church of Jesus affected? There's over two billion people in the world right now who sing songs to him every week in almost every language of the world. And it has been growing ever since he sent the church. This is what it means to actually be the church, that we are the sent ones, that in a sense, Jesus was sent into the world carrying a mission from God, the mission of God. And the mission of God is that God would be brought back to his people. That out of the overflow of love that God had as he created us to know him, that then he sent Jesus in a sense to bring us back because we had wandered away because we had distorted images about God and we didn't trust him. And so God sent Jesus into the world to say, no, you've misunderstood who God is and he wants you to come home because you will not find the fullness you are looking for, that there must be more than this. You will not find it in its fullness in anything else other than the thing that you were made to be and know, which is to be in relationship with the living God. And he said, as, I, as God sent me into the world with that mission, that is the same mission that I am now sending you into the world. That's the furthest thing from going to church. Church isn't a place, it's a life. It's a family. We are the church, the sent ones into the world. That's the mission actually of every church. That as God in a sense gathers us in and as we begin to know who he really is because of the work and word and power of Jesus, then, then we are actually gathered in and sent out into the world to tell people who have, I believe, walked away from a Jesus they've never known because of religion, because of hypocrisy, because of tradition, because of history, because of all kinds of reasons. We are in a sense sent to a whole bunch of people who say, I don't even think there is more to life than this. The best you can do is enjoy your job somewhat, have enough money to pay the bills, maybe have some fun money on the side, try to stay healthy for the most part and try not to get into too much trouble. That's life. And the church is the one sent out in the world saying, no, no, there is more to life than this. There is a fullness and meaning and purpose that you were meant to have in the work that God has given you to do. There is an experience of power in your life that you were meant to have that would see your, your illnesses healed, that would see your relationships made whole. There's a power that comes to us to actually truly wipe away the guilt that we have rather than stuff it down and put it to the side. There is actually life to the full. This is the calling of every church as the sent ones. And in a sense, it's kind of what we do every Sunday, right? We're, we're gathered in and then we're sent out on Monday. We're gathered in and we're sent out. Every time we come and read God's word, it's like he's bringing us close, telling us about his love, reminding us about who we are that we are his beloved children. 
that there's no more fear, there's no more guilt, there's no more shame, all the songs we've already sung this morning, then we're sent back out into the world with that message. That is the mission of every church. That is the mission of every follower of Jesus. And so what we've actually as a church said is, okay, how do we do that? Like, what does that actually look like? And, and the words we've tried to put it into, which is sort of a vision statement for our church, and you've heard it said before, but hopefully as I explain it, you go, oh yeah, that's why we say that. Our, the vision of our church is to have a deep faith and a wide embrace. And the reason we chose those words is because we believe that's that picture of being brought in to Christ and knowing him and a deep faith in Jesus. As I said to you a couple weeks ago, not just believing in God, but believing God that our lives would actually be transformed by the love and power and presence of Christ. That as we know him more, that fear begins to go away in our lives and shame and guilt begin to go away in our lives. And we have a sense of power and purpose in the work and in the neighborhoods and in the families and the situations and all the trials that we face as human beings. That as we know him more, our faith gets deeper and, and inevitably then our embrace gets wider. Because to know this God the more you know him, the more you want to make him known. In a sense, if you ever wonder, well, why, did, why did God even create the world? Because, you know, as Christians, we believe in this thing called the Trinity. It's kind of a complicated thing. I don't totally get it. But the, the, there's Father, Son, and Spirit, three, three persons in one. It's this idea of saying, like, yeah, God is one, but he was God in relationship. Like, the, like uh, uh, in a sense, a, a one person, a, a person by themselves without anybody else around the rest of their lives, you can't say they're loving because it's just them. I, I, I thought I was really loving until I got married, right? And then you actually realize, wow, like, this is love. You, you can't actually prove it without relationship. And so this idea that God is Father, Son, and Spirit in relationship together, out of the overflow of that love, the world is created. In a sense, the world was made because of love, right? It's actually even how children are born, out of love. It's, it's how we came to be. And so, in a sense, if we worship a God whose love so overflowed to others, to us, that we were made to actually know that love, that God, in a sense, had a love that was not selfish, and a power and a life that was not selfish, but actually said, I want others to experience this. If we actually know that God, we will be that way too. It will begin to flow out of us. The more you know Jesus, the more you want to make him known. Isn't that true? It it's actually comes from a conviction in our hearts and our spirits that says, you know what? What I have experienced is not just for me. that in a sense that what I know of Jesus, that this has so transformed my life, that this is in the, I'm in the middle of being changed. I'm not where I wanna be, but I'm not who I once was. And so I can't keep that to myself, that the more my faith deepens in Christ, the wider my embrace gets, the more I say, man, I cannot keep this to myself. There are more that need to know. And that's what we've said. And, and it's not like a first this happens, then this happens. This is like a cycle in our lives over and over. The deeper we know, the deeper we are affected and transformed by the, our relationship with Jesus, the more we feel, in a sense, sent out into the world where we grab the arm, the hand, or we put our arm around someone that we love and say, I gotta tell you about this. That in a sense, we are sent out into the world the same way Jesus was. That you and I have a mission not only to, to talk about God in ways that people go, oh, that's who God is? 
to talk about the church, not in terms of geography or building, but in terms of a community of transformation. And to have actually a power in our lives where people look at us and go, no, we're not perfect, and no, we're not sinless, and yes, we have trials just like everybody else, but there's something different about you. Can you tell me what it is? That we would actually say, you know what? We have a relationship with the living God. Everybody's into spirituality these days. In a sense, the reason we worship sex as a culture is because that 30 seconds of euphoria is what everybody would say, I wish I could have that for a lifetime. It is the greatest experience of transcendence or spirituality that our culture can, can actually imagine, right? That, that's what we worship. We've kind of taken God out of the picture and we say, okay, well, love, sex, like that at least for a moment makes us feel alive. That's what this culture is looking for. And we say, oh, that's, that's bad. It's, it's like, no, that's what the culture is longing for. It's just not enough. And we know that there is fullness in God. So we are actually sent out with a sense, no, the transcendent kind of spiritual experience you are looking for is actually not found in thrilling experiences of bungee jumping and having sex, all of which, okay, fine, for a moment. But in God, there is life to the full. And I know that because that's what's happened in my life. I speak of a God I know. This is how it works. The deeper we go in faith with Jesus, the more our embrace is widened. See, if you, have, if, if you have a wide embrace and no deep faith, which is, there's many branches of churches or even humanitarian organizations just say, like, let's not talk about sin and let's not talk about Jesus because everyone fights over religious stuff. Let's just try to love everybody. But you know, you have a wide embrace without a deep faith. You don't have much hope to offer people other than whatever can be drummed up for today. And then one day we die. Or what's the point of trying to fix? Why, why go with the Red Cross? Or why go with these places and try to fix? Because every, every little bit of injustice you try to deal with in the world, there's like a hundred more somewhere else. There is a hopelessness that can come into our lives if we're just trying to love everybody. And in fact, I don't know about you, but I don't have it in me to love everybody the way they need to be loved. I need a deep faith, a life in God, the God of love, if I'm actually gonna have a wide embrace. But if you have a deep faith and no outward movement, first of all, we have to say, well, who, who is it am I really uh, following? Because that's what he was like. But, but as deep faith as a church, we would just become selfish. We'll say, well, it doesn't really matter what happens around us. We just have these nice spiritual experiences with God on Sundays or in our prayer closet, but the world can go to hell. No, a deep faith in Jesus always leads us out to the places and spaces around us. It means that you and I are sent. The family you're in, God sends you there. The neighborhood you're in, you've been sent there. The workplace that you're in, some of which you find extremely difficult, even the people that sit next to you or the people that make decisions that affect your life, you have been sent there with the love and the life-transforming power of Jesus, and we as a community have been sent into this city and the cities where you live with a deep faith and a wide embrace. And it's this conviction that, that what God is doing in us is not just for, for us, that is meant to be shared. And so as we have talked about that as a leadership team and said, well, what does that look like as a church? There's two numbers that kind of we've wrestled with a little bit that I wanna kind of share with you. And they're both, in a sense, what we'd call a tipping point. And maybe you've heard this terminology before. The first number is this, 150. 
And this is Malcolm Gladwell who wrote the book Tipping Point and Blink and David and Goliath um, and a few other books, brilliant guy. Um, he said that in, in any community uh, or any environment, each one of us has the capacity to remember a combination of 150 names and faces. Like that's kind of about a number. So, so up to about 150 in any group that you're a part of, whether it's a church or your office or a community or whatever, that up to about 150, you can walk into that group and be part of that group and say, I know everyone. You may not know all of the names and faces, but you can remember a combination of 150 names and faces. And in that group, you feel like, okay, I, I, this, is, this is home for me. This is familiar for me. This is family for me. This is comfortable for me. This is, these are my people. He said, after that number, there's a tipping point. And as that number, as, as the, that community starts to grow, you start to feel like less and less like you know everyone. And in a sense, to some degree, a little bit of your sense of connection to that group starts to go down because that number grows. And, and actually, that's interesting because we have observed that in our church, in fact. So about a year ago, on a Sunday morning, we'd have about 100 people in the seats. We're now regularly above 150. And I have literally heard people say, oh, I don't know that person. Oh, who's that person? Like, not in a bad way. It's just going, oh, wow, like, I don't, I don't know everyone anymore. Like, the, the room's actually getting bigger, which is a good thing. But all of a sudden, we're like, well, wait, like, I don't necessarily, you know, that, that sense of feeling connected to everyone just starts to go down. Now, I think that we have a very loving and connected and, and, and church, and we do a lot of stuff in here to, to kind of continue to grow those relationships. We have time where we pray together at the end of a service where people come forward and we pray for each other. We talk, we have a 30-minute party together. We go out for lunch with anyone who's new. We, um, we're in home groups and stuff like that as a part of that connection. But the fact is that that dynamic just represents something that we all know. The larger a number gets, the harder it is to stay connected and feel on the same page. And like, you know, if we really are the church with a mission from God, the, the bigger that number gets, the harder it is to stay connected. The easier it is, and I know some of you try to do this, the easier it is to just sit on the edges and kind of skate in and skate out, which is okay. You know, you want to come to church and you just, you're just not ready to jump in. That's okay. This is totally, there's lots of seats. But it's funny, right? We're in a movie theater and what the dynamics, the social dynamics of a movie theater are what? Sit as far away from anyone else as you can, right? And not near the front with all these great seats here. Um, but that's what happens in movie theaters. But, you know, in a church, and maybe some of you have had this experience where you've gone into a church that, are, that, is, that is a big church and you feel like, okay, I don't really know how to connect in here. I don't really know how I fit. And it's just sort of easy to sit on the sidelines. A another one of the dynamics that happens with the larger that number gets is the more people go like, because we, we actually believe that, you know, there's so many people in our church who serve. We, we counted the other day. There's like over 125 people in our church who serve in some way. And, and we're not like a, this is like a volunteer movement. That's not what this is. We don't, we don't try to get people to serve because, come on, you owe it to God or the church to do your part so that somehow we can all survive. That's not actually what we think at all. We believe that actually God has made each of us unique. And, and actually, Scripture says we're all body parts. And so we actually don't know who we are until we're connected together. And we believe that one of the ways that you begin to know each other and know yourself and who you are and how your unique shape is a part and an essential part of this body is by beginning to serve in, in various ways. And as we begin to serve together, we're like, wow, God has actually made me to be a part of something bigger. That, that's part of there, there must be more to life than this. I actually can't figure it out by myself. I have to actually be in community and be serving and trying to use my gifts and figure out who has God made me to be. But as that number gets bigger, it's easier to just go, oh, I'm just gonna sip. It seems like everything's fine. Like, like some of us actually, we were planted from a church
there's a red light flashing next to the battery symbol. I don't know a lot about this stuff, but okay. Um, we, we, our church was planted from a church of like a thousand people. And, and I've heard so many people say, oh, I, I wasn't really involved there because they just seemed like they didn't need me, which isn't true. But that's kind of what you can conclude the bigger the number gets because every, everything looks fine and I don't really know how to find my place in here. And, and I'm not as good at that as that person, so I would never volunteer to do that. So I'm just going to kind of sit. Well, as we planted this church, all of a sudden we all looked around and going, well, I guess we're all going to do this because there's no one else here. <laughs> like new churches, smaller churches suck people in, right? I ended up being a pastor. You know, I, all I said was, okay, Andre, sure, I'll go lead, I'll, I'll lead worship with this church. Next thing I know, here I am, right? It just sucks you in. I wouldn't change it for the world. But you've, you can, many of you can describe that, right? It just sucked you in. You just started doing stuff because you know it needed to be done, and all of a sudden, you started to feel alive. There was something in you that God says, I made you for this, and, and I made you for this group of people and these people. Well, but as that number starts to go up, all of that kind of gets harder to happen, and so one of the things that we've been saying is, hey, like, how do we as a church stay close and connected despite the fact that we're growing? Because we're growing, that's a good thing. Because here's the other number that matters. I'm honestly okay with this. All right. The, the other number is this. 10. It's actually a percentage. And it, it's also what um, people who study kind of uh, group dynamics and social patterns call a tipping point. And they say that a population can be transformed in a certain way, in a certain set of beliefs, or in a certain path, or a way of living, once 10% of that population um, kind of reaches that influential dynamic. So if a group of people reach kind of 10% of a larger population, that 10% can actually have a, have a significant enough influence on the whole that can actually change their beliefs and patterns and way of living. So it means that if we're actually called to the places and spaces and neighborhoods and, and not just the city of On, but some of you come from cities just outside of that, we're actually called to have an influence and a transformational effect that we actually need to get to 10% of that community to actually have it. So Vaughn is like 300 and something thousand. If we drew a little circle kind of around it, just some of the areas where you come from, let's say there's around 500,000 people. That's 50,000. That if we actually wanted to see this city come alive in the life of Jesus, to say, you know what, we've, we've experienced here is not just for us. That we would actually need 50,000 people in our area who not just said, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, or oh, I go to church, or whatever, but who are actually alive in the presence and power of Jesus. We're not there yet. Like, we took all the churches in that area. There's not 50,000 people that are there yet. And so I look at these numbers and go, okay, we want to stay, in a sense, intimate and connected as a family where we know each other, but we want to grow because we want to see the city transform with the power and presence of Jesus. So how does that happen? What do we do? So one of the ideas that we've been kicking around is to say, okay, as a church, as we're growing, what if we actually started to multiply what's happened here in other parts of the city? Like, what if there was another upper room community church just like this, in another part of the city, maybe closer to where you live, that we said, okay, if, if we were actually going to grow, say, say, we, say we're in the next five years we were going to grow to 1,000 people, that it would actually be maybe better to have five churches of 200, five congregations of 200 than one of 1,000. Because we could actually continue to maintain a sense of connectedness to one another and involvement and knowing each other and being a part of the mission that God has for us 
to walk into a place and go, I'm known, I'm loved, I'm cared for, this is my home, this is my family. And yet at the same time, continue to grow so that we would be an influence in this city. You may say, well, what would that look like? like how, how does that work? Well, because um, some of us go like, I don't even, like that's, I've never heard of a church like that. Well, you just have to know, we're, we're not crazy, totally. We sort of are, but there are other churches doing this. Um, that, and, and we believe in Canada that that, that that actually works better in our country because smaller is good. Yeah, people, we're, in Canadians, we're, we are suspicious of anything big, right? Uh, anything that's too big, too popular, too, that needs to just come down a few notches, right? In other countries, of what I won't, which I won't name, they love that. It's like superstar, rock star. Here it's like, no, 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 you're getting too, you're getting too popular. We're going to cut you down on Twitter for a while. Um, <clears throat> Right, like smaller is better, that, that I want to be known. I, I don't want to be this big thing. I, I want to be a part of something small but dynamic. And, and we kind of see this thing as like if we could multiply in places around the city. And, and some of you kind of commute to this church. You, don't, you say, I don't live in the city of Vaughan. Well, maybe there's an area closer to where you live where if this was actually there, you'd say, well, I, I could drive 10 minutes and not 20. Um, and, and maybe the people who live near me who presently would never go to church and probably would never think of commuting to church, well, if it was a bit closer, they might actually come. We could actually start to have some impact of upper room in that community in, in the way God wants to transform my neighborhood. And so we've been actually thinking, is like, what if we could do this? And so in a sense that, that we would kind of, you'd kind of have the same experience they have. It's still the same vision, still deep faith, wide embrace. And that me and, and potentially, you know, one of the things that we've been doing with uh, Connection, right, is partnering with them and saying, like, what would it look like if we actually had two or three preachers who, who preached at, at, at a few sites that were actually not not video but were actually with their church and actually teaching and, and on the same plan on the same mission trying to do this together but so we, we were one church but in a sense in in different places what could that actually look like and could this actually allow us to stay connected and small in a sense as a family and yet growing in our influence to transform the city with the presence and power of Jesus now that may raise a whole lot of questions for you which I don't really have answers to yet but one of the things you might say, well, why, why would we do this? There are so many of you in this room, and myself included, that God has done things in your life in the last 10 years through this church that never, never would have happened if this church hadn't been planted. I, I, would, I, would, not, I would not be up here. I can guarantee you if I'd stayed at the church, I preached my first sermon because Andre tore his sternum and he couldn't move, so I had to preach the next day. If that happens at the church where we were from, they're never asking me. There's like 50 other people they would have asked before then. If I had never come to this church, I would have never known how much I actually love the church, how much I care about trying to reach people who say they don't, they don't care about church at all. There are some of you here that, that you're actually followers of Jesus, and 10 years ago, you wanted nothing to do with him, or you thought church is boring, irrelevant, untrue, and I don't even know what the Bible says, and I don't care. And now, you, now th those words are life to you now. They are precious to you. And now you're trying to think, wait, wait, I, how do I convince the people that I was just like to say, no, no, think again. It's not what you think it is. There are some of you that are leading things now that before you would just kind of flit in and out of church. Or you're actually giving more money away than you ever have in your life that you actually have begun to form friendships with people and talk about the things that are the deepest and closest parts of your heart that 10 years ago you would say, well, I don't think I really know anybody that well. If this church hadn't been planted, if somebody hadn't said, this place needs a church, I know I can say, I would have missed out on one of the greatest adventures of my life. 
I would have missed out. Now, would God, could God have still done his work? Sure, but I, I might have missed out. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss out. New churches, new things reach new people. And that's one of the things that we just need to kind of continue to say, hey, where are the places and spaces, maybe even your neighborhood, that needs a church, that needs an expression of the family of God right where you live? It would be different. It'll change. It'll challenge us in new ways. But I believe that as God is doing stuff in us, that we begin to grasp and say, you know what, this isn't just for me. God, how do you want to share this with the world around us? You and I have experienced transformation because somebody took, stepped out and, and took a risk. The, the planting team of this church, our planting pastor, Andre, said this, this place, this city, needs a church. And so I believe it's a conversation we need to begin to have, and I wanted to invite you to come to our prayer meeting tonight and to our, our meeting next Sunday night just to talk more about what could this actually look like. But I wanted to take just a couple of minutes this morning and give you actually time to pray, just, just you and God. And, and like I said, if you've never prayed before and you're not even sure God is there, your simple prayer can be, if you're really there, show me. But for those of you that say, yeah, I know, I, I know, and, and, and Jesus, what would you have me, what role Tell Jesus, what, what excites me about this idea? What, what am I concerned about? What, what, what am I unsure about? What would change? Ask Jesus, who are the people you are sending me to? And you don't have to pray all these things, but maybe just one of these questions just kind of makes you go, yeah, that's what I want to talk to God about this morning. What new things do you want to do in my neighborhood? Maybe, maybe do you actually want an upper room community church in my neighborhood, like right where I live? Could my neighborhood be, be the place where that would happen? And in what ways do you want me to get more involved with your mission at Upper Room? Maybe I've been holding back. Maybe I've been sitting on the sidelines. Maybe I've been unsure what my place is. How do you want me to be involved? Just take a couple of minutes and just pray, however you want to do that. When, when God calls us in and sends us out, there's, there's always risk involved. If we actually go down this road, and some of you know we're actually thinking about, you know, is there, is there a building that God could, could give us that would kind of be a, a beachhead or a first step to begin to, to multiply um, these sites? It's going to mean that some of us are going are gonna to give financially for the first time. Some of us are going to give more to, to make this happen. Some of us are actually going to be people who are going to go to a new site and be a part of actually starting something new maybe in a place where you live. Some of us are going to be kind of people who are called in to lead things we've never led before. I was thinking about um, Malcolm, you know, who we recently brought on to kind of help direct this whole movement. And, and six years ago, he came to Upper Room, and he wasn't following Jesus then. And now he's on staff at a church, and I'm sure seven years ago, it would have been like, I can't really imagine that. And actually, as, at our staff team this, uh, a couple weeks ago, we were all sitting around going, I don't think we could have ever imagined being here. And, and there's been risk all the way along for him, for me, for you. You know, no gains in your life with God come without risk. The, um, the African Impala is um, one of the most amazing of God's creatures. can actually jump over 10 feet uh, in the air and travel a distance of 30 feet in that jump. But in the zoo, it can be contained by a three-foot-high wall. You know why? Because it won't jump where it can't see the landing. 
It'll never jump where it can't see where its feet will go. And when Jesus comes to his disciples and he breathed on them the Holy Spirit, it was like he gave them, you know, like the strength, the leaping ability of an impala, something inside them that would cause them to explode. And yet it still required faith. That there are things that you and I have inside us, the capacity to do, Jesus said, more than even he did as the church. And yet what holds us back is a what if, a what about, and what happens when. And if I can't see where my feet are going to land, maybe I don't want to jump. And I just believe that we need to remember that we are the people. In a sense, you know, the disciples were locked, had locked down because they were afraid of dying. And when Jesus came to them and actually showed them that he had conquered death itself, they said, why, did, why were they overjoyed? Because they realized there's nothing more to fear. That fear now does not need to mark my life or my decision-making anymore. And inside me now is the capacity, the power of the Holy Spirit to do more than even Christ did on the earth. And that if we, the church, would actually begin to say, man, we need to step out in faith where God is leading us. I need to step out in faith because as I do, so will the people around me. This faith is contagious. That what would God have you do? I invite the worship team up to just lead us in response. And what I would say is we have started kind of a family conversation this morning. It's not done. You may have lots more questions. And, and my prayer is that God has begun to stir something in you. But that you maybe come tonight and begin to pray and come next week as we begin to talk about this and say, God, what, do you, what, what leaps of faith do you want us to take so that we, the church, that are sent out into the city will begin to change it? We begin to actually experience the transforming power of Jesus in us as we trust in him. Do you stand? I just want to bless you with uh, the power of yes. I don't know what God is going to say to you about maybe the people he sent you to, someone he wants you to approach, someone he wants you to pray for, some place or some new thing you need to do in your neighborhood. Maybe it's some step of faith that he's calling you to take into his plan and what he's doing at Upper Room. I just want to bless you with the power of yes because I, I think that's all the disciples had the first time he came to them. They didn't know anything of what was going to happen, but something in them says, yes, I want this. So I just want to bless you with that. Whatever it is that God is saying to you and as he comes to you, that you be open to that and say yes to him. Would you receive that? Amen.